You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned after it for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Hi, everybody. And to help us sort of connect the dots as to what we've seen and experienced so far, I am going to talk to you for a few minutes today from Luke chapter 5 on this Easter Sunday. And to help us get started, I'm actually going to ask you, if you wouldn't mind, to stand and honor the reading of God's holy word on this day, Resurrection Sunday. Here we go. I'll be your scripture reader. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out in the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James And John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. And all God's people said, amen, amen. You may be seated. And again, welcome today. You know, if you ever go to or you've ever been to Rome... Roman Italy, you likely will go to or will have likely been to St. Peter's Basilica. It's arguably the most famous church in the world. Any of you ever been there to St. Peter's Basilica? Yeah, a few hands in each service, yeah. Uh, You know, as you approach it, if you've been there, you know that coming through the outdoor plaza into this huge church and basilica, there's something that's unmissable. You can't miss it, but it seems totally out of place, like not connected to everything else because standing there greeting every single person who arrives is not a giant cross like you might expect or like a a big Italian painting from Michelangelo or something but standing there is a pagan symbol thousands of years old right there in the courtyard of a church it's this Egyptian obelisk right here it was built in ancient Egypt those of you keep score at home weighs 750,000 pounds but it was brought to Rome in the first century Initially, initially by the Roman Emperor Nero to be placed near Nero's circus to enliven the place, the place where Nero routinely tortured and killed dissidents of the state. It was here in this circus, Christian tradition tells us, where a fisherman from Galilee with a given name of Simon Barjona was brought, was tortured, and was martyred roughly 65 AD. And the reason this is one of the first things that your eyes see as you approach is because this was likely, most likely, the last thing that Simon saw, uh, who as an adult was simply known as Peter. This was one of the last, if not the last, thing that Simon's eyes saw before they closed forever in front of Nero. In that Roman circus, this obelisk was the last thing Peter's eyes saw. That's why they brought it there. 
Now think about it. Think about it. This obelisk, all right, was originally built, constructed by a pagan Egyptian pharaoh to worship the sun god Ra. Was later brought to honor a Roman emperor's self-worship, self-aggrandizement. But now it stands in the courtyard of a site of Christian worship to commemorate the last view, the last moment of the life of a Jewish fisherman. Like, how did that happen? How did that happen? How did this ancient piece of granite come to symbolize all that it means to follow Jesus Christ? And the answer to that question is not only what today is about, but that story you just heard in seed form is what this new series is all about. Because today we're starting to uh, look at, for the next couple of months, a new series called simply, How to Follow Jesus Christ. I don't know if that's clear enough for you. How to Follow Jesus Christ. And we're going to take a look at the topic of discipleship, that is following Jesus through the lens of the life of Simon Peter. Because if you know his story, Peter shows up like all over what Christians call the New Testament. He shows up here. We're going to take a look at it. In the Gospels as a young man. Later, a few years later, in the book of Acts as a transformed man. Then he shows up in Paul's letters, epistles, as a conflicted man. And later we see Peter show up in his own letters as an old man. And along the way, he became the leader of the first church of Jesus. And so today we're going to begin that look with what's called, we just read it, the call of Peter. The moment where Peter steps out from behind the curtain of anonymity and onto the stage of human history. Because long before Peter ever died in a deranged circus in Italy, Peter experienced Jesus in a simple boat in Israel. This is the moment, in other words, today, we're gonna look at it, where Peter begins to learn how to follow Jesus Christ. So that's our question. What does it mean to do that? What does it mean to do that wherever you're coming from today? Whether you're a skeptic, Believer, new Christian, long-time churchgoer, you got bribed with Easter candy to come or tune in today, or someone promised you like that Dr. Pepper Peeps flavor, whatever that deranged flavor is, or selling in the, the groceries. What does it mean to follow Jesus Christ? I think that's an important question because after all, if you've said yes to that, if you've said yes to Jesus, do you know what? Or who you've said no to. And if you're not a Christian, you're a skeptic, you're like, man, I'm only here because someone arm twisted me. Okay, if you're not following Jesus, do you know who or what you've said no to? So what does it mean to follow Jesus? Again, a person whose resurrection from the dead, more than a billion people around the world are celebrating today. Now, the answer to that question is the point of this story. It's the point of this narrative. It was recorded for us by the, the historian Luke, a Greek doctor turned Christian historian. That's the point he's trying to make because he frames that whole story with this simple summary statement. Verse 11. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, followed him. So what could compel Peter to do that? What could compel Peter to follow Jesus Christ? I'll I'll put it like this. All right. And I hope you caught this message in that really amazing dramatic performance and, and dance we just had, because this was the message that Peter experienced. I want to suggest you can, I can. Peter experienced through trauma and tenderness, the great exchange of Jesus Christ. Peter experienced through trauma and tenderness the great exchange of Jesus Christ. So we're going to break that statement down, look at each part of it. But first, the story. 
right here on this beach. If you know a bit of the background, Peter has been listening to Jesus teach. Peter's likely sort of been introduced to Jesus because we know from the other gospels that Peter has had Jesus make a house call to his place. Jesus had come and healed Peter's mother-in-law of a debilitating fever. So Peter, he's seen Jesus heal. He's been hearing Jesus teach on this beach. And now Peter is because net fishing, which Peter did, was done at night. Peter's not in his boat because it's daytime. Peter's on the beach here, mending, repairing his nets while having Jesus on in his playlist in the background. So Jesus is getting crushed here by the crowd. And and wouldn't you know it, he steps into, therefore, Peter's fishing boat and cryptically commands him to do this. He says, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Peter sort of reluctantly obliges. You can sort of hear the sarcasm a bit dripping through his tone because he replies, master, we've worked hard all night. Hint, hint, because that's when you do net fishing and we haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I'll let down the nets. Like Jesus, you're a carpenter. Stick to what you know. Stay in your lane, Jesus, right here. Ten and two, right? We're professional fishermen. We know what we're doing. And we didn't catch anything, which means there was nothing to catch. But okay, so we don't look bad in front of the big crowd here. I'll do. We'll do what you say. And when Peter obeys and he, and he lets down his nets, we read there's such a miraculous catch of fish that not only can his boat not hold them all, but his buddy's boat can't hold them all. And both boats begin to sink under the weight of the miracle that Jesus does. That's the moment. That's the story. That's what had happened. So what's Peter's reaction? Let's take a look. It says, when Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Now, we should ask here, what in the world is going on? Like, Simon meets Jesus and said, get away from me. What is this? He's like, I thought being closer to Jesus was supposed to help me. I thought coming to church was supposed to make me feel good. I thought this whole Easter Christian church Sunday was supposed to give me, like, groovy vibes, make me feel real good, right? Well, I'm at home or drinking my coffee. Yeah, you're welcome for that. You know, what is going on here? What is going on is this. We are being shown Not what we think it means, but what it actually means to follow Jesus. What's that? Again, to have your life transformed by experiencing the trauma and tenderness of the great exchange of Jesus Christ. First, let's look at that statement. It's through trauma, all right? When Peter meets Jesus, we read it here, read it here, his self-image, it doesn't improve, does it? No, uh, his self-confidence, uh, you know, his emotions, emotional state, it doesn't get better, it gets worse. Why do, what does he call himself when he meets Jesus? Come on, sinful. Now again, if you're from like the, the Hallmark greeting card section of the store of life, <laughs> where everything faith-oriented is like painted in warm colors, if you think church is supposed to be like, you know, Pinterest perfect pastel Easter colors, thank you very much, say that five times real fast, you may not have been prepared for what you just heard and read. Like sinful Morgan, is this like some like weird first century religious groveling, like people back in that day were super superstitious? How can Peter call himself sinful when he meets Jesus? Well, I think perhaps a better question to ask is this. How can someone not call themselves this when they truly see who God is? 
show you what I mean. People in the Bible, if you know your stories, people like uh, Moses, Job, uh, Isaiah, Ezekiel, they all meet God in their stories, in their accounts. They see him for who he is, and they all repeatedly swear they're going to die. That's what they first do. This is actually the most normal reaction, I think, in the world when you're really meeting an almighty, omnipotent God and being. Think about it. Again, Isaiah, he meets God in the temple in Isaiah 6. And the Bible records that angels came. They're flying around there in the temple. and And they come from God's presence. They announce God's presence by saying this single statement. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Now, if you've ever wondered, man, what would it be like to meet God? Who is he up close? Like, who is he really? You know, listen, these angels, if you believe the Bible, I do, do nothing except look at God all day. They see him up close in person and they come to earth to tell us the one thing God is. He's holy. Now, lots of words, ideas, places, subjects throughout the Bible that give you a word doubled to, to, uh, to, to communicate intensity or depth of meaning like David, David, Mary, Mary, Martha, Martha, so forth. But this is the only thing, the only subject, the only idea about which a word is tripled, gets the triple treatment to communicate unlimited depth of that word. Holy. God's perfect, isn't he? Infinite, majestic, glorious. In other words, he ain't like you or me. (laughs) And this is why Isaiah came unhinged in Isaiah 6. This is why Peter comes unglued in the boat in Luke 5. This is the normal human response to superlativeness. Your favorite German theologian and mine, Rudolf Otto, in the 19th century, he tried to do a number of scientific studies on the response of human beings toward the divine. and wrote a book, I'm sure you all read it, called The Idea of the Holy. And he introduces a term you may have heard of called numinous awe. The word numinous means holy, powerful, something totally other. And what he noted in his research is that people all over the world, all religions, places, faiths, times, was that people, when they got in the presence of their God, they had this traumatic experience. They, they experienced numinous awe. They felt ripped apart by simultaneous and yet conflicting emotions and thoughts. On one hand, these people, they all felt attracted to, uh, drawn toward, compelled by the divine. On the other hand, they experienced this internal ripping apart when they saw themselves in comparison to the divine. And I want to tell you, I think this is very helpful. This is actually very biblical. This is the normal human response to greatness. Now, some of you know, I played baseball years ago in college. And like every athlete on that level, I had an overinflated opinion of my ability. Overinflated opinion. I thought, I'm pretty good. You know, bring it on. And as long as I was playing against players of my level or below, I did pretty well. And felt pretty good about myself. Kind of like when I dunk on an eight-foot net against a seven-year-old, like I'm going to do with the Mosaic block party coming up in a month. I'm kidding. I would never, I would never do that. If you're new, you're like, man, I feel like I know him better already. But one game, one game, actually, I did face down the number one overall pick in the Major League Baseball draft that year, a pitcher named Matt Anderson. You can look it up. Matt Anderson threw 103 miles per hour with maximum velocity and minimal control. And you know what I thought as I stood in the batter's box? Two things, please, God, don't let him hit me. And number two, I thought as I watched him arm up, away from me. (laughs) I am a terrible player. I was seeing how not talented I was. And if you want to know how that at bat ended, how the story goes, 
That's for another Sunday. You'll have to come back. All right. Numinous awe. Attraction. Repulsion. Same time. You've seen how much is something that you're not. And so if you and I feel this way, in the presence of human greatness, how much more can we ought to feel, ought we to feel, when we're in the presence of the living God? And I think that's why Peter is traumatized. He sees who Jesus really is. And so he says, away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. And notice again, by the way, Jesus does not correct him. <laughs> but neither, neither does Jesus give him what he asks for. Jesus doesn't just go away, leave him. Because in the next breath, Jesus pulls Peter closer than Peter could have imagined. Peter could have thought possible. And he marks Peter's life here with this remarkable tenderness. He wants to do the same thing with you, with me, with us today. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. And this, I want to tell you, this moment here, snapshot, is a picture of what it means to follow Jesus. At the very moment, you become deeply aware of how unholy you are before a holy God. At the very moment, you become aware, rightfully so, you do not deserve his love and mercy and grace. He actually pulls you closer to him. He calms all your fears with his person, affirms you. Beyond your dreams. Look at what just happened. Look what just happened. Peter asks Jesus to leave him. And then Jesus gives him more relationship than he can even handle. <laughs> Peter's pulled. Not just into like a business partnership with Jesus. Peter doesn't get like free merch for liking and following Jesus online. Peter gets friendship with the son of God. What does Peter do? Now he begins to live out. We're going to look at it. On the outside what he just experienced on the inside. Look at verse 11. So they pulled their boats up on shore. They left everything, followed him. It's incredible. The trauma and tenderness of meeting Jesus has transformed Peter. How can you know? Because look, look, here on the beach in this, in this moment, in his boats was more money. Peter had ever seen in his life. The greatest one-day sales event in Peter's little fishing business is going on right here. He had a fortune in fish flopping in his boat. All his professional dreams had come true. He'd hit the big time and he walks away without even blinking. Why? Because Peter had experienced in seed form here what he would one day encounter in full. At the bloody cross and the empty tomb, Peter experienced the great exchange of Jesus Christ. Well, Peter saw how flawed he was, but how loving and powerful Jesus was. And that this loving and powerful being wanted him, he could let go of it all. Peter began to see, and I hope you do too, that if, he, if you have true riches in Jesus, you can let go of that thing, that person, that opportunity, maybe right now. Because Peter experienced a great exchange. The love of Jesus for the sin of himself, he could walk away from his old life. Let's apply this as we begin to close. Let's apply this for just a couple of minutes here. What had Peter exchanged in order to follow Jesus? Now to follow Jesus, in addition to leaving those fish on the beach, Peter exchanged three things, three exchanges I'd like to ask you to consider making, if you haven't already today. This Easter Sunday, number one, exchange shallow for deep. Shallow for deep. Jesus says, put out in a deep water. I want to tell you, some of you, hear me, spiritually, <laughs> need to do that. Some of you have been dipping your toe. 
Maybe into Jesus, Christian faith, church, coming around, dipping your toe in, you're only swimming in shallow water. But I want to tell you, the harvest of your life, the great catch, the true experience of Christ, it comes in deep places of risk, of Christian community, of forgiveness, of trust. If your feet, in other words, can still, come on, feel the beach. If you don't feel like you could get swept out to sea with Jesus any minute, I'm not sure if you've really experienced the great exchange, Jesus Christ. Number two, exchange a self-directed existence for a Christ-directed life. Jesus tells him, commands him, let down your nets for a catch. See, Peter's doing here what literally does not make sense, S-E-N-S-E, or C-E-N-T-S. Doesn't make professional sense, doesn't make financial sense, right? Net fishing's done at night. Jesus is telling him to do the opposite of what he'd been trained to do, what his father had taught him, what his family had taught him, what his community had taught him to do. But Peter does the opposite of what he'd been trained to do. Why? Because Jesus said so. Let me ask you, is there something today, if you call yourself a Christian, something you've been refusing to do, and you know Jesus is asking you, let me ask you, if you're a Christian, do you really need another reason besides Jesus said so. If you do, I'm not sure you've experienced the great exchange of Jesus Christ. Third and final exchange for all of us here. I encourage you to exchange security or the illusion of it for eternity. He says, from now on, you'll fish for people. Think about what hung in the balance on the beach that day. You know what hung in the balance? You. Me, this, the church, hung in the balance that day on the beach. Jesus looks at Peter and gave him, in miracle, parable form, what would one day happen on the cross at Calvary. There was, in the ocean, in those nets, a kind of a death, right, and a resurrection. Out of the tomb of the sea came life. Into the deadness of Peter's net swam an uncountable number of living fish out of an impossible situation. Something happened that could not happen apart from the supernatural intervention of God Almighty. See, fish don't stream in nets during the day. Men do not rise from the dead. This miracle is a kind of a sign as to the kind of person that Jesus Christ came to be and is. Jesus is saying, Peter, if you'll follow me, this net in this moment is what my church will look like one day because of your choice. Men and women will stream into the nets you cast down at my direction. A movement like none other begins right here, right now in this boat. Peter, if you'll exchange your empty net today, your empty heart right here, your empty and bankrupt choices right now for my direction, my truth, my love, my presence in your life. If you'll let go of the illusion of personal security for the hope of eternity I can give you. Oh, I'm not just going to fill your nets with fish right now. Peter, I'm going to fill your heart behind your, beyond your wildest dreams and people will stream one day into the nets of my church. Listen, this, yeah, this is what it means to follow me, Peter. Follow me. You get all that I have for all that you lack. All of your sin, Peter, for all of my righteousness, all of your trauma, yeah, Peter, for my tenderness, your plans for my plans, follow me and watch what happens. And Peter said what? He said yes. And because of that, come on, you and I have been swept up in a way into Peter's net. You and I are here. The world's changed because one man, one person said yes to following Jesus. What could happen if... On this Easter Sunday, April 4th, 2021, 
if you and I said the same. That's what I want to call you to ask, consider, think about, and even decide for. Here's we take just a moment to pray as our band comes and joins me on the stage. Lord, we just come. Would you bow your heads with me today online at home? Lord, we just thank you for this moment here, holy moment. This Easter Sunday, Resurrection Day. Some of us, we've been sort of strong-armed here. We're cajoled into, feeling guilty about. We came. Regardless, happy or sad, hurting or doing good, we all have need of you, one Savior for the whole world. And Lord, I'm asking now for those of us, we never made that choice, conscious decision to follow Jesus, to leave behind our empty hearts, empty nets, the reality of our empty lives, and trust you and follow you today because of the truth of who you are the truth of your resurrection your love for us which I pray every person listening at home online here in the room every person would feel right now that love Lord I pray we'd say yes if you're here and you're saying man today's my day I want to follow Jesus yeah follow Jesus I want to make my choice today if you just pray this prayer right now with me you just say Jesus I choose to follow you I repent all of my sin, all of my choices. And I ask you to forgive me, to cleanse me, and to lead me. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me, for being resurrected for me. Lord, give me grace and strength now to follow you as you right now make me new. I thank you for that promise and that truth, Jesus. We love you today. We trade our security, which is an illusion, for the hope of an eternity with you. And these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.